That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Well, the Pac-2 has a football schedule. At least they know who they're going to be playing in 2024 if you're a listener to this show you've known it for a couple of weeks but the civil war is back on in 2024 and in 2025 it'll be on beyond that but uh we at least know that it's it's in black and white you've got the beavers and the ducks playing next football season the rivalry game will continue decide for yourself if you love it or you hate it doesn't seem to be any indifference about it, but September the 14th, Oregon State will be hosting the Oregon Ducks at Autzen Stadium, or excuse me, at, at Research Stadium. They'll go to Autzen Stadium in 2025. And for Duck fans who are upset about trading the Texas Tech football game in 2024 and saying you don't get anything in return, well, what you did get in return is Boise State which was supposed to host Oregon in 2025, will not be getting that as a home game. The Ducks will be instead playing Oregon State at home. So you lose a home date in 2024, you pick one up in 2025. The Ducks will not have to go to Boise to play the Broncos in 25. Instead, they will be at Autzen Stadium to play Oregon State. For the Beaver fan who's out there lamenting that the schedule looks a little too much like the Mountain West, consider that there are seven Mountain West Conference games on Oregon State's schedule. Beavers play seven home games as well. Big selling point and a rarity at Oregon State. Civil War game at home creates a nice premium game to shop around to potential media rights partners. Four games versus traditional Power 5 opponents on the schedule. Beavers keeping that September 7th date at San Diego State. Play six other games in the Mountain West Conference at Boise State, at San Diego State. Those games will not be easy, but I am told that Oregon State tried to add a fifth Power 5 game, likely against Virginia, but could not get it done logistically. Again, I said for longtime listeners of the show, loyal listeners of the show, uh, this schedule will come as no surprise. No surprise whatsoever. Um, Aiden Childs heading to Michigan State. That becomes official as uh, he jumps out of the portal and lands with Jonathan Smith. How you feeling about that, Beaver fan? Jonathan Smith does not play Aiden Childs in the Civil War game and ends up uh, keeping him for himself at Michigan State. Uh, did he do you dirty by doing that? I want to hear from you. 503 417 75. Uh, from the Washington State standpoint, Washington State picks up a game against Texas Tech. That game was supposed to be at Autzen Stadium against the Ducks. Instead, to Pullman to play Washington State. 
Washington State also has six home games in 2024. Apple Cup's a neutral site game, so it's six and a half. And uh, Mountain West Conference road games at San Diego State, Boise State, and Fresno State. All tough places to win. If I'm a Cougar fan, I want to see those games uh, split up. I want to see a bye week maybe in and around one or two of them. Uh, that is a very difficult thing to do, uh, to go on the road to those three places in the Mountain West Conference. We'll be talking with Gloria Navarez. She is the commissioner of the Mountain West. She'll be joining us at 4 o'clock, just about an hour from now, to talk about it. But uh, big news of the day, Aiden Childs ending up in East Lansing, Michigan, with Jonathan Smith. Not a big surprise. I mean, you have to know that Aiden Childs was a... Uh, a uh, you know a Jonathan Smith guy recruited by Smith, um, you know first uh, Oregon State player from the 2023 roster to announce that he is headed to another school, not just jump into the portal, but say, hey, I'm going to another school. Aiden Childs will go to Michigan State with Jonathan Smith. Do you wish him well? Probably. It's not his fault that his coach left. Do you look at Jonathan Smith and go, man, if uh, there was loyalty at all, you just threw it out the window by taking your gear to goodwill, uh, you know, leaving Oregon State for Michigan State and taking the furniture, so to speak, with you. 503-417-7575, the phone number. I want your reaction to all things. Um, Civil War reaction. The game's on. You tell me what you think. Aiden Childs to Michigan State. Tell me what you think. And the schedule release of Oregon State and Washington State. Now you know the games that you have. Let's jump out to the phone lines. Sean is in Sandy. He's going to lead us off. Sean, what's up? Hey, John. Thanks for taking my call. You know, I think this is a big difference in uh, the schedule between the Beavers and Ducks. You know, now this is like a tune-up game. You know, the Civil War game and and those important games, they're at the end of the year. They're the last game of the year. You know, Michigan, Ohio State, they're not switching their schedule to play in the first couple weeks of the year. So I think uh, I just want to hit on that note and see what you think of that. Have a great yeah. day, bro. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is easily explained by the fact that it is not a conference game anymore, so it's difficult to have that game scheduled in November at the end of the year. Typically, that game would have happened right around November 23rd, and instead now Oregon State will play Washington State on November 23rd. Um, I, I like that the rivalry will continue. I like that they found a way. From an Oregon State-only perspective, it gives Oregon State a premium home game to include as part of their season ticket package. I mean, imagine that Oregon State schedule without the Oregon game on it. Uh, you know, there isn't as much to sell there to a TV partner. There's not as much to sell there to your home fan base. So you get the rivalry game as part of the home conference, uh, I mean, in the home season ticket package. You get the Purdue game as part of the season ticket package. Um, certainly if you are an Oregon State fan, you're probably looking at that schedule and going, okay, who else? It's Idaho State, it's UNLV, it's San Jose State, it's Colorado State, and Washington State. So having Oregon on that schedule gives you an absolute tentpole, uh, and it's your best home game if you're a Beaver fan. Let's go to Casey in Beaverton. Casey, what's on your mind? Hi, John. Well, both Childs and the Civil War, so I'll start with Childs. Um, yes, I do believe Jonathan Smith really uh, kind of jobbed Oregon State here. Uh, and I wondered from the beginning, as soon as we heard that he left, uh, as to whether he held out Childs for that very reason, and I'm sure he did. So I find that 
super disappointing. As far as the Civil War goes, and I've called about this before, uh, and yes, I am still giving up my season tickets, uh, people keep talking about history, and you can't let that history go, etc. and this is a rivalry that's meant so much. Well, for those of us who know more about the history and have dug into that and have lived it personally, we know that uh, somewhere around before the first Rose Bowl uh, that the Ducks went to when they had the incredible Kenny Wheaton pickoff, et cetera, et cetera, they had started uh, in earnest to say Washington is our rival, Oregon State is not our rival. Uh, and that was a mantra that was pretty heavily spoken about and talked about, et cetera. And so I think U of O gave up the traditional aspect of that years ago. And so I think it's actually a farce to try and maintain it. I know there's a financial reason I get that, but in terms of maintaining what was a, a historical rivalry, that's gone, and the Ducks made sure that was gone because they've been remaking themselves for about 30 years. They don't even want to remember their past, so I'll, I'll leave you to answer that. Yeah, you know, I don't blame you for feeling the way you feel, and I think that if you are a Oregon State fan, you ha- you have every right to feel bitter about how it went down or to look over at Oregon and say, gosh, you know, like, you know, why would we do you any favors by playing this game and allowing you to have a home game next season and only 44 miles of travel and no airplane ride? And, you know, Oregon has chosen a uh, a life in the Big Ten Conference after this after this Pac-12 season. Um, so I don't blame Oregon State fans for feeling that way, but I also think, like, look, there's some bad feelings right now that may dissipate over time. There were bad feelings in 1911. There were bad feelings at other points of this rivalry when, you know, it looked lopsided for a stretch as Oregon was starting to win games, and especially in the Chip Kelly era, and Oregon State was struggling to to stay competitive, and certainly the Gary Anderson era until the one game where, you know, Ryan Nall ran crazy. The Gary Anderson era was uh, bleak as well. Um, I, I just would tell you, like, the sample size needs to be bigger than, hey, let's let's look at this game and throw away, uh, you know, a hundred plus years of rivalry history and a lot of um, feelings that that uh, are attached to it just because of what happened in the last cycle. We don't know what's going to happen with the landscape of college football. I suspect it's going to look dramatically different than it looks right now. You know, you, we all are kind of looking at the proposal from the NCAA's president, Charlie Baker, and kind of going, you know, will Oregon State and Washington State be part of major college football or will they not? And I just don't think you should pause this rivalry for fear that it will never come back until we know what, it's going to look like and what is you know is Oregon State and Washington State are they going to be competing in the same division as Oregon moving forward and so right now I think we're in a season where you've got to pump the brakes a little bit you know I got great advice I asked people the other day on social media I said what's the best advice you ever got and somebody said you know don't make a decision when you're angry or when you're tired or uh, when you're hungry and I think that's really interesting. Now, if you're if the decision is where am I going to eat, you're you're free to make that when you're hungry. But I just think that's really really good advice because if you're Oregon State, you don't want to make a decision to not play this series while you're angry or bitter, or desperate or searching for footing. Continue the series, play it, look up and see what where you are in five years, in seven years, 
Then tell me if you want to continue this series, because I just don't want to interrupt something that has been a series that has been great for Oregon State, a series that's been great for Oregon, a series that's been great for the state of Oregon, taxpayers in Oregon, and, um, you know, for people who are looking around and going, hey, you know, I just don't want to play this thing anymore. Like, I just think it's short-sighted a little bit. Steven, how do you feel about continuing the rivalry? Yeah, I mean, I want to continue the rivalry. I think, you know, it's just one of the more fun days in the state of Oregon when Oregon and Oregon State play, and I don't really have a dog in the fight when I'm watching it, but, you know, I've watched that game every single season, and I think if if you stop it, it's going to be too hard to start it back up. Like, it's easy just to say, nah, let's take a year off, let's take two years off, we'll figure it out. And then we'll get it back together. Well, I think it'll be harder when you do it that way to get that series rolling back again. So I think it's good that they're going to play this next season. Um, But I think from an Oregon standpoint, I look at playing Oregon State, and you you talked about this, how Oregon State, a lot of their fans feel like they're doing Oregon a favor. I think Oregon's doing Oregon State a favor in this one. Like, If I'm Oregon and I'm looking to get into that college football playoff with the 12-teamer, I already know the Big Ten's going to be tough, right? Like, you're probably not going to run the table in the Big Ten. You're going to get a loss here or there. If you lose to Oregon State, who's going to be a solid program? Probably not going to be where they were the last couple of years, but they're always going to be close to the top 25. They're going to be well-coached. They're going to be a good, solid program. That's going to be a tough game in Corvallis. If you lose that game in Corvallis at the start of the season and it keeps you out of that 12-team playoff, why would Oregon want to play that game? Why, why wouldn't they want to just go play someone else, some other you know cupcake school that they can get by real easily? and not have to go up against your rival on the road in a real tough place to play, you know, at Reeser Stadium where the Oregon State has been awesome the last two seasons. So I, I, from an Oregon standpoint, I feel like they are doing Oregon State a huge solid by giving them this game. And they I'll don't throw it back to. at you, though. Like, who wants to come to Austin Stadium? How are you going to get a Power 5 non-conference opponent to play at Austin Stadium? I, you, you don't, but I don't think you need to play another Power 5 team when, now that you're in the Big Ten. You've made it. You've getting, you're in the, you're in the so higher-ups of all the You want to play Idaho State, Portland State, you know, maybe you get a Mountain West opponent in there, maybe get Nevada to come there. You have to pay them. You have to pay them to do that. It's going to cost you $700,000, $500,000 to get those teams to come play there. I, Oregon State's going to do it. And it's going to trade you games every other year. Hey, you come to our place, we go to your place. There's no travel, nobody, no cash exchanged. I think from a financial standpoint, I would do that. It just kind of, you know, it depends on what what Oregon's thinking at this point. If it's to get to the college football playoff, I don't think you want to play Oregon State. If it's all, if you know, if it's the money type of situation, then yeah, I think it does favor Oregon in that way, where you're going to save save a lot of money, uh, not having to travel and all that kind of stuff. You know, you're always going to sell out that game when Oregon State comes to Austin Stadium, but. Man, John, I just think it's a tough. Like I look so at you how you think it's dicey. I think you it's say, dicey because if yeah. you're if you're trying to make the college football playoff every year, like if you have two losses in the Big Ten, like yeah, you can still make it as you know a top twelve team. But you're playing Oregon State, who's like that game's going to be the Super Bowl for the Beavs. You look at Oregon when they're going to Corvallis, like is that their Super Bowl? I don't think it is. Like I think Oregon State's going to have that chip on their shoulder, man. I just think it's real dicey if you're the Ducks. I find it interesting that the schools announced it as if it's a two-year deal. I am told that they have discussed this being in perpetuity. We're going to play each other. But I found it interesting today as the releases went out from Oregon and Oregon State, and I had a source that tipped me off before it all happened, said, hey, it's coming out, schedule's been finalized. I reported about a week ago that this was done. It has been done. But they were waiting for the Mountain West Conference to, to put their piece together. They were waiting to kind of see... Oregon State was waiting to kind of see, could it get Virginia in there and not have the extra Mountain West game? Didn't happen. 
But now the schedule's coming out, and I've just found it interesting. I immediately looked at how Oregon framed it, because Oregon is the party that I was interested in seeing. How are they going to position trading Texas Tech at home for a road game at Oregon State? And they they sort of spun it as, we're going to balance the schedule. We're going to have seven home games in every year. Now, that's normal for the Ducks. They want seven home games. It gives them an opportunity to print some money at Autzen Stadium. But now they have one of those home games being this Oregon State game. Uh, I want more calls. Let's go to Wes in Canby. It opens a line at 417-7575 in the 503 area code. Go ahead, Wes. Hey, John. This is a good topic because, you know, I don't understand why people are still holding the grudge about what the Ducks did. I mean, I think the Civil War and the fact that they have uh, arranged two games in the near two years to come, I think that's fantastic. I think it's a win-win for both teams. I'd rather see Oregon early in the year be playing teams like Oregon State versus Portland State or Eastern Washington. I think that's a bonus for the Ducks. And, you know, it's you got to believe it's great for Oregon State because, you know, if they can, you know, if they can come in and play these, these uh, Big Ten schools solid, I mean, I'd love to see Oregon State get the teams like Rutgers and North, Northwestern on the schedule because they start playing them solid. They'll start getting looks from those conferences down the road when we know it's all going to be realigned. I mean, I think the hard feelings need to go away because, man, oh, man, it's changing, and I don't like it. I know you don't like it too much, but it is what it is. So I think it would be great just for – I think this is just a great move by both schools to make this happen, and I think it's really cool that other teams have uh, have made the concessions as well. So I appreciate the opportunity, John. You're awesome. Thanks, Wes. Uh, look, I, I think one of the other things that nobody's talking about is Dave Brown. He is the scheduling guru who works for Gridiron Football. That's his company. He used to work at ESPN, and he used to be the schedule maker. So back in the day, ESPN wanted better games for TV. And so ESPN had Dave Brown kind of working behind the scenes with the teams. He was kind of consulting, but on behalf of ESPN, it just was back in the day. And so Dave Brown would, like, you know, call Texas and say, hey, wouldn't it be great if you played Miami? And he'd call Oregon and say, wouldn't it be great if you played LSU? in a game we could put on TV in a non-conference game. And he would help the teams kind of maneuver around, and he very quickly realized, hey, there's a business here. There's a business involved in this. I could be the guy who does this. And so Dave Brown became the guy who ended up being the scheduling guru, and he created this gridiron football company. He left ESPN. I've talked to him. He has all of this stuff floating around his head. And so when Oregon State and Washington State called up Dave Brown and said, hey, um, we don't have a conference. How do we put together a 12-team schedule? Brown told me, not impossible. Not the easiest thing I've ever done, but not impossible. And so what he did is he looked at it as a two-year project, and he said, okay, Oregon State, Washington State will play each other once in each season. Now, he kind of in the back of his head said they could play twice, home and home, if we get in a pickle. But let's do once, and let's make it a late-season game when everybody else is playing their rivals, we'll have Oregon State, Washington State play each other November 23rd, put it on the schedule. Then he started looking at the like who could they very easily make a partnership with. And he came up with the alliance with the Mountain West Conference. He married those things together. They talked. They hashed it out. They decided, hey, we could pick up six games against the Mountain West Conference. And, you know, that would require the Mountain West to uh, you know, only play each other seven times because they're all going to play either Oregon State or Washington State. Then he started looking at some tricky games in the 
non-conference schedule and Oregon and Washington, Oregon State and Oregon decide, you know, we're looking over at Washington and Washington State saying they're playing the Apple Cup. How do we play the Civil War? And Dave Brown said, all right, here's how you do it. You use Boise State and you use Texas Tech and you jockey some things around. And so Oregon State uh, agreed that, you know, it would play the, the at Boise State later in the season. And then uh, Oregon said, okay, we'll give up the Texas Tech game. They can play Washington State. And uh, we won't play uh, Boise State, but we will uh, play instead. Uh, we'll move the Boise State game another week, and then we'll play Oregon State. And the Civil War was back on. Like, nobody's talking about the fact that, like, Dave Brown, the scheduling guru, like, this is a masterpiece for him to get this done, to be able to put together a 12-game schedule for Oregon State, for Washington State on short notice, moving parts, Boise State, Texas Tech, um, certainly got some help from Cal, who was willing to slide in and play Oregon State in Berkeley. And, uh, you know, there were some other teams that didn't want to do anything to help these schools. But Cal did, and Texas Tech did, and Boise State did, and Oregon did. And so I do give a tip of the cap to those schools that were willing to do it. I think there's a civic win as well like you know we can talk about the benefit to oregon state we can talk about the benefit to oregon we can talk about the fact that oregon doesn't have to travel that they get a home game that will be attractive on their home schedule it's a bus ride for the visiting school in this series there's no money that changes hands nobody has to pay anybody five hundred or seven hundred thousand dollars to come play a game from oregon state standpoint you're getting a power five or power four opponent coming to research stadium from Oregon's standpoint, you're getting a quality opponent to come to your stadium. This is better than playing Idaho State or San Diego State. This is, you know, it's your rivalry game. But I think there's also, like, you know, talk about the hit the taxpayers take when Oregon leaves and the Pac-12 disintegrates and Oregon State now has to stand in front of the state legislature and ask for $30 million that they don't have. Like, you know, there's a benefit here, a civic benefit, to Oregon saying, hey, we're willing to play this game because it gives Oregon State the ability now to keep that money in, in the state. This isn't, you know, Oregon paying, you know, Weber State to come play. They are saying, hey, we're going to give you a home game, Oregon State, and I, and I, and I like that. Punch and Audio is coming up. we got a lot to talk about. Giannis, is he still mad? Did, did they give him his basketball? We'll talk about that and more. Leave it here. I asked my uh, my buddy uh, Jason Puckett, who hosts a show on KJR in Seattle, he's a big Washington State fan, I asked him, what do you think of the schedule? And he replied, I wish we were going to Hawaii. And then I, I, I don't know if you've ever done this, I sent him like a long text message about how, yeah, that's, you know, you really should book trips for your family. You should uh, have, you know, book something to that you can look forward to for months and months. And uh, and then he responded, no, you putts. I wish the Cougars weren't hosting Hawaii. I wish they were going to Hawaii. He threw me with the use of the pronoun we. I wish we were going to Hawaii. Because I would never say we when it comes to Oregon State or Oregon or one of the teams I cover. But Puck is a Cougar honk. He's a Cougar. And so he said, we. Did he go to Washington State, though? Yes. Doesn't that make it a little different or not? It does. But I still think we threw me because I view him as 
like a media person. And when he said, I wish, I said, what do you, this is the exact text exchange. What did you think of the Washington State schedule? That was my text. He said, wish we were going to Hawaii. (laughs) And I said, book a trip. Best part of booking a trip is that your family has something to look forward to, blah, 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 blah. I was giving them all this wisdom and expertise about how you plan a trip. It gives you like a carrot to look forward to for months and months and months. And then he's like, it's like that scene in uh, Field of Dreams where uh, Kevin Costner's character takes James Earl Jones' character to the ball game, And Kevin Costner, um, Ray Kinsella, turns to um, Terrence Mann, played by James Earl Jones, and he says, um, what do you want? And James Earl Jones goes on this long rant about, you know, I want people to stop looking to me for the answers. I want people to think for themselves. I want people. And then Ray points at the uh, concession stand and goes, no, what do you want? <laughs> oh, dog and a beer. You know, and so I felt stupid. <laughs> and I said, yeah, okay. I just gave you uh, my, uh, my whole uh, rant about why it's important to book a summer vacation or a spring vacation or, you know, even if it's a camping trip that your family looks forward to every year. You got to have something to look forward to. And then he's like, no, no, no. I I meant I wish Washington State was playing at Hawaii so so he could go to the trip selfishly. Uh, We're going to play some punch and audio. Gloria Navarez, the Mountain West Conference Commissioner, is coming up at 4 o'clock. How about Giannis? Giannis was... um, upset that the Pacers took the game ball the other night. Steven, did you track this story? I did, and I just... I Okay, I love the NBA. I hate this part about the NBA. Like, the drama that these dudes have over little things like a basketball. Petty. Petty. It's just... It is just not for me, and it's for a lot of people. A lot of people, you know, on Twitter, a lot of NBA fans love this stuff. I absolutely just hate it. Giannis Antetokounmpo exchanged heated words with members of the Indiana Pacers staff. He raced towards the Pacers locker room on Wednesday night. Teams squared off in the hallway (laughs) over a dispute over the game ball. Giannis scored 64. The Bucs won the game. And um, after the game, the Pacers took the game ball because they had a first-year player, um... Oscar Tshubi, is that right? Shibway. Shibway. So uh, scored his first points as an NBA player. So generally, when a player scores their first point, the game ball goes to that player. And now there's two game balls, as I understand as well. Like there's a game ball, and they always have a backup. Well, Giannis wanted the real game ball, but the problem is they gave the game ball to Oscar. Because it was his first points. And they can't go in there and take it back. I thought Richard Jefferson had a great take on it. He was like, if you're Giannis, you're viewed as the bigger person here. You're the you're the all-star. You what you should do is go to the go to Oscar and be like, Hey, I understand it's your first points. I'll give you ten thousand dollars for the ball. Buy the ball like you're buying a jersey, make it right. Because what you can't do is go back into the other locker room and you can't take the ball back. Now Giannis is upset. He doesn't have the real game ball. Oscar has it, and Giannis is bellyaching. I really don't know. I don't know. I have the ball, but I don't know if it's a game ball. It doesn't feel like the game ball to me. It's it feels like a brand new ball. Um, like I can I can tell you know from um, I played what 35 minutes a day. You know I know how the the game ball felt. 
you know, the, uh, the ball that I have, which I'll take and I'll give it to my mom for sure. But uh, I don't know if it's actually the game balls, but it's 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 okay, you know. Uh, life should continue. I don't actually, I don't even have the game ball from, um, which hurts me. I don't have the game ball from game six in the NBA Finals. I don't have the game ball from that either. Um, but uh, I just, it's just so fortunate. I've never seen, I've never seen this before. I feel like you can, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't even, I'm not even going to comment on that. It's, I don't know if I have the game ball, to be honest with you. Uh, and that's what you, you thought they had the game ball. That's why you ran after them in the tunnel. I knew they had the game ball. I don't, I didn't think I have, they had the game ball. I knew they had the ball. <laughs> the Pacers, meanwhile, are uh, grumbling themselves. Rick Carlisle in the post game, he looked like a parent who was mediating a dispute. What happened at the after the game was uh, was unfortunate. There was there was a misunderstanding about the game ball. Um, it was Oscar Shibwe's first NBA official NBA point, so we always get the game ball. We were not thinking about. Giannis's franchise record. So we grabbed the ball, and um, a couple of, a couple of minutes later, several of their players ended up in our hallway, and there was a big, a big, uh, I don't know, I don't know what to call it, a fracas, a melee, a melee, whatever. I don't think any punches were landed, but my general manager got elbowed in the ribs by one of their players. Um, and so he certainly has a bruised, bruised rib and <clears throat> who knows, you know, if it's anything more than that, but, um, unfortunate situation. We don't need the, the official game ball. There's two game balls there. Um, you know, we could have taken the other one, um, but it didn't need to escalate to that. Chad Buchanan, Pacers GM. I just texted him. You Okay. We'll see what he says. What a mess. What an absolute joke. Like, it's like a bunch of petulant children arguing. I'm gonna I'm here to tell you, I have a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. They have more evolved discussions than the Bucks and the Pacers are having right now. Well, it's like the argument my kids have. It's like, you know, the oldest one will play with something that the youngest that's the youngest ones are like, don't play with that. That's my ball or that's my toy. You can't play with that. Don't touch it. And that's what Giannis and you know Dame and all the Bucks were doing. Like, hey, Giannis scored a franchise record. Don't touch his ball. It's his. Don't let him do it. Don't you have shared space? Like, you can't, you know, it's a, if it's in a community space that anyone can play with it. I feel like that's what it should be, but, you know. That's what we do over here. I mean, Carlisle sounded so annoyed there, John. It was, I mean, that's, yeah. that's the part of the bit. It was funny to me. <laughs> he just was like, I don't, yeah. I couldn't care less about this. This is the dumbest conversation ever. It's his facial expression, too, when... <laughs> He's trying to explain what's happening. You have, like, this guy who's been in the league who's basically saying, I'm too old for this bleep, who is having to mediate this discussion. And frankly, it's almost like you had, I mean, it's a perfect storm because you got Giannis who goes for 64, but meanwhile, Shibwe's got his first points. And so it's just customary, like in baseball, Guy gets a hit, first hit, what do they do? They throw the ball to the dugout, right? But it's almost like, you know, last pitch of a Major League Baseball game, rookie gets in and is at the plate, and legendary pitcher is on the mound. Closer, let's say. Let's say Mariano Rivera's on the mound, and Steven, you're getting your first Major League at-bat. <laughs> you hit 
a bleeder that goes into right field off the end of your bat. It's your first major league hit. But the runner on second trying to score gets thrown out at home plate. You get a single. You want the ball. But Mariona Rivera is going, that's career save number 500. I want that ball too. Who gets the ball? I mean, I feel like uh, I feel like the hitter at that point should get the ball in that situation. I think, I think the first, a first to me, is a bigger deal than Giannis getting sixty-four. If, if it, maybe if it's, it's like a big the, deal, if, it, if yeah. it's like the all-time record in saves, maybe that's a little different. But like just like a career milestone, like Giannis got a career milestone of the mile, you know, the hey, most sixty-four. Points it's a great game. In yeah. the, it's the Bucks franchise record. Like I get it, but it's not like an NBA record. It's not. You know, there's been more points scored last season when Dame did it. So, like, I don't know. Like, it's significant, but it's not that significant where, you know, Sheboy got his first points. Now, this does throw a little crux in it. Well, John, Sheboy actually scored in the in-season tournament in the uh, championship hmm. game against the Lakers. But since that's an extra game, that game, those stats don't actually count. So he scored one point against the Lakers at the Adam end of the game. Adam Silver's fault. This is all Adam Silver's and, fault. Yeah, so so he actually technically has scored in an NBA game, but those stats just go into the you know into the ether. They don't count. It's like the the play in. So uh, Sheboy got his first official points last night, and it, you know, and now the uh, Bucks and Pacers have even more rivalries because that was a game in the in season tournament to go to the championship was the Bucks Pacers and uh, Halliburton did the Dame time after hitting a clutch shot. So they got a little rivalry brewing there. I like the rivalry. I like that the teams are kind of, you know, uh, there's some tension there. But there's an easy fix to this. But Giannis, does the, does the Sheboy part matter? Does it change anything that he's actually scored in a game, but it just hasn't no, technically counted? If it's technically his first points, he should get the ball. Giannis, you've got a jersey. you got a pair of uh, shorts. you got your sneakers. You scored 64. Give him the backup ball. I don't care. Give it to your mom. It's it's this is all about theater anyway. It's the NBA. The NBA is a lie. Like when you look at the NBA, it's such a lie. The whole league is a lie. Like the attendance is a lie. The drug policy is a lie. The playoffs are a lie. The star treatment that officials uh, give to players, it's a lie. The officiating in general is a lie. So, you know, it's a it's a little white lie that, you know, okay, we had two basketballs, you know. There there've been cases in the NBA where players have changed jerseys at halftime so they can say it's a game-worn jersey and they can get two of them in. Next time, what the NBA needs to do is use a different ball every quarter, just in case. Or each half. Let's have a first-half ball and a second-half ball. That way Shibway can have one, Giannis can have one, and Rick Carlisle can get about like not having a migraine after the game trying to figure out how to mediate this. Uh, the bowl games, are they not important or are they important? I'll make a case for the college football bowl system next. Coming up in about 15 minutes, Gloria Navarez. She is the commissioner of the Mountain West Conference. She will be with us to talk about that partnership between the Pac-2 schools and the shifting landscape of college athletics and vision for the Mountain West, all of that stuff uh, coming up at 4 o'clock. I want you here for it. Anna will be along later in the show to uh, do the 5 at 5 and give me a hard time. And for those of you who think that's the your favorite part of the show, so be it. If your favorite part of the show is me being made fun of, that's fine. Nothing I can do about that. That's a you problem, okay? Or maybe it's a me problem. I don't know. Um, I'm going to say something that needs to be said about Jonathan Smith. 
the former Oregon State football coach. Number nine in your program. The guy that was hired and given his first head coaching job by Oregon State. Oregon State believed in you, Jonathan Smith. They handed you the keys to the operation. You did a good job. You were well compensated for it. It was a symbiotic relationship that worked until it didn't. And it's really not working for Oregon State right now. Because not only did Jonathan Smith leave Oregon State for Michigan State, not only did he say to his alma mater, like if there are anything that is sacred, if there was any coach in America who was going to be the university that gave him a job, it was going to be Jonathan Smith. Like, in some ways, Jonathan Smith's defection to Michigan State has uh, eroded my confidence in coaches in general. Because if that guy, who was given opportunity by Oregon State and handed the keys and and thrived and seemed to be the forever guy in Corvallis, if that guy was willing to turn his back on his university and apparently go to Goodwill and drop off all of his Oregon State gear, that's your alma mater on his way out of a town, then who in college football is going to be loyal? I've seen the photos of the Oregon State gear at Goodwill. Maybe uh, he could have put it in boxes. Maybe he could have dropped it at a Goodwill somewhere between Corvallis, Oregon and East Lansing, Michigan. He didn't. And maybe he's doing Oregon State fans a favor by doing that. Just saying, hey, it's show business, not show friends in the end. But if you had any doubt as to whether Jonathan Smith would be kind or empathetic towards Oregon State's plight, that was pretty much erased in the Civil War football game when Aiden Childs, his prized recruit and future of the franchise, did not play. DNP didn't get that one series that he'd been giving him all season long. And now Aiden Childs becomes the first Oregon State player who entered the portal after Jonathan Smith's departure to pick his new home. And he has picked, wait for it, Michigan State. He's going with him. Now, I don't blame the player. It's the system. His coach was able to transfer. He should be able to transfer. Don't be mad at Aiden Childs for what's going on with the portal and his eventual defection to Michigan State. I think he's a good kid. I think he's got a bright future. I understand he's doing what he thinks is best for himself. But there are a lot of people at Oregon State who feel betrayed by what Jonathan Smith did. And, you know, maybe he's just like every other coach in America who's taking more money and a better opportunity. And can you really begrudge a coach for uh, becoming, uh, I guess, ambitious? It's the American way, isn't it? I just wish that somewhere in college football there was a little loyalty. I wish somewhere in college football from a sitting Division I coach in a major conference that there was somebody willing to go, you know what, it's my alma mater. $4.8 million is enough money. Um, you know, I don't need to leave to get $7 million. I don't need to ditch out to, to go be in a better conference. certainly don't need to not try my best in the rivalry game, and that's what Jonathan Smith did pulled a punch in that rivalry game by not playing Aiden Childs. I think it's disappointing. 
at least at face value. It looks bad. It's a bad look for Jonathan Smith. Dropping your gear at Goodwill, turning your back on your alma mater, and taking a quarterback that you had positioned as the quarterback of the future at Oregon State, it all adds up to something that doesn't feel very good to Beaver fans. To Oregon State, I say um, it's business. You know it now. Don't get too comfortable with Trent Bray or anybody else. You know the landscape that you're operating in. But now go out and, you know, punch back a little bit, as you did under Jonathan Smith, and you did well. To Jonathan Smith, I'll say this, though. You have entered a world of college football that doesn't have a margin for error. The Big Ten Conference will not be like the Pac-12. It won't be at Michigan State like it was at Oregon State. You won't get the wide berth that you got and the slow growth, and it's okay if you you only win two games in your first year. No, it's not going to be that way. You have signed on for something that is uh, a high-wire act, and you've got no safety net. And you won't get a lot of empathy from your old alma mater if things don't work out. Be sure of that. Meanwhile, at Oregon, we're being told that this Fiesta Bowl doesn't mean anything, that it's just another meaningless bowl game, and that Oregon is, um, is so favored in this game that you know, people shouldn't even watch it. But I sort of feel like Oregon's game against Liberty in this Fiesta Bowl is an important game if it if, you know, even if it's just to check a box. And by what I mean by that is Bo Nix, the Oregon quarterback, has said he's gonna play in this game. Dan Lanning's out recruiting, selling Oregon as a program that belongs in the Big Ten Conference and can compete in the Big Ten Conference and will contend in the Big Ten Conference. But in order to sell that really to recruits and to sell that publicly and to continue the momentum that he has built this season, Oregon needs to not only go into this bowl game against Liberty and show up ready to play, it needs to punctuate a season that looks like progress with an exclamation point. Go beat Liberty by 21 or more. Go knock off an undefeated team. Go prove to everybody that you're so much better and you deserved a better opponent from the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. They stuck you in this game. It's not Oregon's fault that they stuck Oregon with Liberty, a team that hasn't played a Power 5 team to this point. And it's not the Fiesta Bowl's fault that they stuck Liberty in this game. And so I kind of am looking at Oregon and looking at the stage and going, hey, it's great that you got your quarterback. It's great that you won... 11 games a year after you won 10 games. Here's a chance to go get win number 12 if you're the Ducks. Here's a chance to finish the season with a better taste in your mouth than you had in the Pac-12 championship game. And guess what? You get the perfect patsy to do it against. Everybody in America is going to be rooting for Oregon to lay it on Liberty because everybody knows Liberty doesn't belong in this Fiesta Bowl. If you're Oregon, go out and prove that. Show the world that you know you are that much superior, that much better to Liberty. Go out and cover the 18-and-a-half-point spread and then some. It's all there, and it's lined up for Oregon. Because losing this game is a loss in a bowl game, but it's also a loss of momentum. It raises questions about Dan Lanning if if you lose the game. It interrupts everything good that Oregon has established this season. And I am looking at 
this season as an improvement over a year ago. Year two under Dan Lanning was better than year one. But it's none of that can be said if you go out and you lose to Liberty. So go win the football game. Go embarrass Liberty. You know? You don't get to pick who you play in the bowl game, but you get to pick how you play. You got Bo Nix. You're the better team. Let's see it. Steven, is Jonathan Smith disloyal? I, I don't think he's disloyal. I do think it was a little shady the way he went out, but I think he, you know, the whole argument of he did what's best for him, I think he did. And with the uncertainty at Oregon State and the way that they're going to have their schedule be mostly Mountain West, I feel like he made the right choice to get into, to get into the big conference. And it's unfortunate because I like Jonathan Smith. I think he's a great coach, but I don't think he turned his back on Oregon State. I think he just went to where he knew he could compete on the highest level. I think it was shady what he did. I didn't like the way he did it. Like, you know, I think you can say, I, you know, because I get it. I get ambition. I get he has an opportunity to go be in the Big Ten, be with the haves. He's going to have the problems that Trent Bray is going to face at Oregon State. And, you know, he gets to leave that behind. But, man, not playing Aiden Childs in the Civil War football game, that looks bad right now. It, You know, Aiden Childs ends up at Michigan State. It looks like he did Oregon State dirty. And I don't blame Beaver fans either. And the whole dropping your gear at Goodwill on your way out of town, that's still your alma mater. Like, are you not going to wear that Oregon State jacket someday when you're 80 years old and you're invited back to a spring game like Dennis Erickson? I mean, for crying out loud, if you're Jonathan Smith, I think you could have done better there. Gloria Navarez is coming up. Leave it here. What was the best sports Christmas present you ever got? Steven, what popped into your head right now when I said that? Um, I remember as a kid, we got um, Seattle Seahawks tickets. I remember it being, Ooh. it was a, it was tickets on the tree. Like we had a little, um, like a stocking, stocking ornament that was made out of beads that you could okay. open it. And inside there was tickets in there. Nice. I got electric football when I was nine. Where I had to line up all the football players, and then it, you know, you push the button, and, and they all kind of vibrate around. They they didn't go where you wanted them to go, but every once in a while, running back would hit the hole, go for sixty yards, and it would make it worthwhile. I probably drove my parents crazy. Gloria Navarez is the commissioner of the Mountain West Conference. She's joining us now. I need to know, Gloria, growing up, best sports Christmas present you ever got? You know, I was playing softball with a ratty glove, you know, hand-me-down. And so getting my very own first new, you know, break it in myself, wrap it around the ball, oil it up glove, that was memorable for sure. Love that. And I know you you were an athlete, and I know your parents, we've talked about this before, the support you got and – what sports meant to you as a kid. I mean, I always, I can remember I got a bat one year for Christmas. I got a batting tee another year. I think my parents were trying to turn me into a hitter. Um, but uh, there was always some, there was always sports at play somewhere in uh, in that. And uh, here you are now as commissioner of the Mountain West Conference. Pretty cool. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> did, you, did you ever say that? Because I know law school was in your future, sports was in your future. Did you ever say, I want to be and work in sports? Or did you just gravitate there because it was always familiar to you and you loved it? I had no idea these types of jobs existed. In fact, when I was in college playing basketball, 
we had an interim AD and kind of vaguely understood what was going on there, but didn't really have an appreciation of college sports as a career until I got into law school and realized, oh, I don't know if I want to practice law. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you, yeah, and you found a way to marry, uh, I guess, that love of sports with, with law. Uh, the Mountain West uh, schedule comes out today. Uh, Oregon State, Washington State, certainly that partnership that you guys have um, is uh, being celebrated, I think, in those two towns by their, those fan bases. But give us an idea of how that came together in your world. Why Why was you know, doing business with the Pac-2, so to speak, good for you guys? Well, you know, both of them have really strong and histories and current programs in, in the sport of football. Um, you know, we've talked about that just geographic uh, proximity as well as kind of shared mission values. And, you know, they look a lot like a lot of the schools in our league right now. And, it, you know, it, it was kind of a, a new project so to speak you know you don't ever really make a scheduling agreement (laughs) to integrate teams into your regular season so while it took us a little bit um very very thrilled to have brought it over the finish line i think we're pleased with the finished product our athletic directors and presidents you know feel it's really gonna you know add to the strength of the mountain west football schedule the conference champion, it'll be decided, as I understand it. You know, looks like you have seven games. Um, are you comfortable you're going to get a good sample size and know who the best two teams are, or is this just kind of where we are with college football that you know this these kinds of things are going to have to happen? And you're on you're you're in a new world, so to speak. Yeah, and that that is the difference with football. It's the small sample size every year, you know, and you're talking about one or two extra conference games does make a difference. Um, But all of our processes are set up to try to put the best two teams in the league in our championship game to best position the league as a whole for that, you know, uh, this year's sixth, next year fifth spot in the playoffs. I've heard some of the presidents and athletic directors in the Mountain West look at Oregon State and Washington State and go, hey, they look like us. They uh, they feel like us. Um, you know, the discussions you had with them, you know, I know it's a partnership. It's a for now thing. You know, how involved was the conversation about a potential true merger or reverse merger? Or did you even get to that point? You know, it's really I, I, everyone talked about it and by everyone. I mean, you know, media, fans, social. But really, until they figure out and by they, I mean, the courts. <laughs> Washington State, Oregon State, and the departing schools, you know, what, who has ownership and control over the league, it's really, you know, there's there's nothing we can do until that, that gets settled. Gloria Navarra's Mountain West Conference Commissioner is our guest. Every, a lot of people asking me about other sports. Where do other sports factor into the conversation right now? Um, I think everything's still in discussion. Um, there's certainly a sense of urgency to figure that out, but just working with Oregon State and Washington State to you know figure out what's best for them. College athletics, you see Charlie Baker come out with the proposal. You have a lot of uh, lot of ideas out there. Of course, everybody's looking at the portal and NIL and the lawsuits that are out there. What do you make of the landscape as a whole and and what you see? I, you know, I there's so many days I just scratch my head 
over what's happening. Um, you know, certainly we've had communities and states get, you know, have strong feelings one way or another regarding selection across all the sports. Um, but to actually have, you know, a state going after the CFP selection committee just seems to me like a, a day I never thought I'd see. <laughs> it's just, I, I don't know. I, I do I do think, though, that, you know, I, I really support President Charlie Baker and, and what he's trying to do. And I, I think he's taking a very proactive role in trying to get his arms around a lot of these issues. The uncertainty with the Pac-12 situation, I think, rattled a lot of people and, you know, you, you obviously your members have to think about themselves, think about the conference. How do you how do you lead at a time where you know there, you've got conflicting agendas and you've got you know some members that are probably really happy with where that you are and others saying you know we have to be proactive and you know we should be adding schools or we should be you know how do you lead amid that or or how challenging is that for your job? You know, one of the running jokes among commissioners is at any given time or, you know, topic, if half the league hates you and half the league loves you, you're probably doing a good job because we don't have that much legitimate authority, really, to just say, hey, this is what we're going to do. It really is leading by consensus and trying to find that path through that is best for the group. And time and again, the position or the agenda of the individual school might conflict with that of the group. And, you know, you have to manage that as well. But I think all of the commissioners, to the best of their ability, are, are just trying to chart the best path forward that makes the group that is the conference stronger. Because that's why, I mean, when it all comes down to it, we were formed to crown regional championships. And now we've become these entities that negotiate media rights you know, greater together than individually. Um, and so just kind of constantly keeping our core mission and values about providing those experiences for student-athletes at the forefront. I've been thinking a little bit about, you know, the TV deal potentially that Oregon State and Washington State might be able to put together. Your partners, um, obviously CBS and Fox, have been good to you guys, good to the league. Do you sense that there's interest from them in televising those partnership games that are going to be held in Pullman and in Corvallis is there value there for for that partner or um, do, do you have any insight in that yeah those would be conversations and questions for um, Oregon State and Washington State about the, the, the home games that are ending up on their campuses we do know that you know we appreciate and our partners are excited about the home games we're getting from them in our schedule yeah let's talk let's drill down on that because as this proposal unfolds, you know, we all see kind of the result today. The Mountain West schedule comes out. The crossover games or the partnership games with Oregon State, Washington State are uh, out there in the open for everybody to see. And, you know, how did that conversation happen on your end? Because, you know, there had to be a little bit of a way, the positives and the negatives from, from your members. You know, what what are the true positives to the Mountain West in, in creating a scheduling partnership with the Pac-2 schools? Well, you know, one, there were already several games, you know, kind of sprinkled throughout the different schedules as non-conference games. And so, you know, that made it, on the one hand, beneficial, easier. On the other hand, challenging, because they were already kind of locked in, right? Um, but I think when when we think about Mountain West football, 
and finding good quality non-conference opponents, those two schools certainly fit that. And being able to serve those up to our members in a, a way that it doesn't, it's least disruptive to their current schedule is something that I think everybody embraced. Now, certainly, you know, when you talk about scheduling, you pull one thread over here, another one unravels over there. So, you know, the folks on our team definitely were working around the clock to try to make everything work. But we feel really good about where we ended up. Yeah, and I think uh, I think there's going to be some really good games. And I especially I look at some of the Oregon State games with Boise State and San Diego State and um, Fres- you know, Fresno State and Washington State. And I think those are games I'd like to see. Um, from from a basketball standpoint, you know, I've heard other conferences talk about basketball being undervalued. How do you see Mountain West Conference basketball fitting into the kind of the ecosystem and the NCAA tournament and, you know, a lot of talk about what the tournament should look like in the future? Where, where are you on that? Well, certainly basketball is very, very important to us. Coming off a year when San Diego State men's team went, you know, to the championship game. Um, right now we have five teams with better than a 33 net ranking. I know there's a lot of basketball left to be played, but, you know, we are consistently a multi-bid league and really pride ourselves and invest in and lean into basketball. Um, I, I think the March Madness tournament, the way it is, is amazing. You know, I hope that all the recent uh, issues and challenges we have in college athletics doesn't negatively impact that property. I think it's an amazing student athlete experience and, and super fun for, you know, fans and stakeholders. Um, but I, I do agree that I personally think basketball is undervalued. And now I don't have a magic wand. I don't have the power to change that, but um, certainly as March Madness continues to get stronger and, you know, we have more competitive teams. I think hopefully that market will move a little more. Gloria Navarre is with us, Mountain West Conference Commissioner, formerly with the WCC, before that with the Pac-12 as a deputy commissioner. You know, you've got such a breadth of experience in all of those conferences and certainly in the West and the Pacific time zone as a commissioner. I'm a little worried about the fact that I find myself talking about lawsuits and realignment and i'm talking less now on this show and writing less about the actual sports do you think we ever get back to that or is this going to be a you know for a while gloria and maybe i'm just asking you as a the sports fan in me kind of wants to get back to the sports at some point i just had a very similar thought in that we had a board meeting a while ago and i was preparing slides and you know as you said how do you lead well you lead by constantly future casting and trying to figure out where the environment's going. And I said, if I could just make a slide deck that didn't have the word implosion in it, <laughs> I'm really, really excited about that day. But I don't know. I feel maybe we're heading for a little bit of settling because the most recent round of realignments are tied to media deals that are a little bit out into our future. Um, but certainly the two-year horizon that we have on the current CFP organization and playoffs, that, I mean, that could end up adding another ripple to the environment. I don't know what that would look like, but certainly it could be another upheaval. The ongoing litigation with the Pac-2 against the departing 10 has certainly caused a pause in their world as they try to figure out who's got governance of what and what assets are there. How does that affect the Mountain West as you look over 
and you even think about, you know, you have to be forward thinking, you even think about a potential re- reverse merger or a merger, and can you even wrap your head around what that looks like if you don't know governance and you don't know what assets or liabilities are there? And certainly, you know, we try to pencil out what we think, not just with Oregon State and Washington State, but on all fronts, what our environment would look like, what that would mean to us as the Mountain West. Um, I'm really thankful that, you know, those two schools have such strong leadership in both Pat and Scott. I mean, I've I've worked with them a long time and, you know, we know their student athletes and programs are in good hands. And, you know, it really on all of these things. The best we can do as the Mountain West is just not be caught off guard and consistently try to sort fact from fiction and really think ahead about all the different what ifs. Yeah, one of the what ifs it sort of involves Oregon State, Washington State just kind of going into a holding pattern. You know, have this partnership, see where it is in a year, see where it is in 18 months, reevaluate. If you're selling Oregon State and Washington State on why they need a conference, where. What would you include in that argument? There's a little bit of strength in numbers, you know, stronger together than alone. I think, you know, we do have a media rights deal that's pretty favorable. And collectively, we have a lot of inventory in the Western region time zone, which makes us valuable. Um, The hallmark of a healthy league is that if, if anytime you have a down year or rebuilding year, or, you know, you just have some injuries that maybe take what should have been a good year a little bit sideways, the strength of the league can help bolster you up and you know there's still a chance in championship or you know end of season play to catch lightning in a bottle whereas if you're a complete independent um it's a, it's a little bit tougher also you got half of your um schedule handed to you as opposed to having to start from scratch the schedule every season and then not to mention all the things that nobody knows that the conference does about infrastructure, officiating, sportsmanship, awards, that's really, you know, all the, you know, sausage making behind the scenes. Gloria Navarra is Mountain West Conference Commissioner. All right. Um, football season, I, I all the to be determines. Uh, I saw the schedule. We kind of know where the teams are playing. How long until we get some dates there or what needs to go into that before dates get set? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me, and I meant to look it up. <laughs> and the guy told me just yesterday, and it's already flown out my head. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, maybe I'll I'll ask you later for an answer on it. But I was just trying to figure out, you know, is that TV driven or are you waiting for something? It is. is non-conference driven? Probably, you know, I don't know. It's television driven. Yes. How do we get out from under the thumb of TV? Well, also yeah. <laughs> no, also knowing that TV is funding this. Well, and then back in the day, we used to make our schedule, and then television would come over the top and pick, you know, which games they wanted. And, you know, it works both ways because in that old model, if there was no flexibility, sometimes you'd have what you thought was going to be a real robust game in the beginning of the season maybe be a little anemic by the end of the season. And it actually helped us to have the flexibility to – kind of handpick and put our matchups in and around the schedule to really build that excitement and try to, you know, culminate into the run for the championship. Again, it's hit and miss as teams, you know, perform over the season. But on the one hand, that flexibility means it takes us longer to put out a schedule. On the other hand, it helps us put the best, you know, 
games, the most compelling matchups where they need to be in the schedule. All right, Gloria, I want you to have a great Christmas. Um, and I really appreciate the work that you do. And, uh, you know, I know that you care about athletes and you care about the sports. And so it's uh, I think it's nice to hear somebody with a legal background in a position of authority also talk a little bit like a fan. And so I appreciate that. Thank you so much, John, for having me. I love the piece on Dan Dickow. Brought a tear to my eye. It was oh, a good man. Man, I, I haven't really talked about it on radio yet today, but it's just it's one of those things like, you know, we sometimes you get we all get our eye off the ball. I was just tired of writing about lawsuits and stuff, and I felt like <laughs> I needed to do something different today. So thank you for saying yeah. that. Well, I was at the WCC when he was a player, and, you know, then yeah. he covered us when I was commissioner there. So I, I have an affinity. He's a good one. Yeah, and he spent a lot of time with that, that doctor that uh, was – facing a terminal illness i i will never forget that gloria thank you for joining us thank you john there she goes gloria navarez mountain west conference commissioner will they end up in a reverse merger will they just end up in a scheduling partnership with oregon state and washington state those are questions for another day i did write today at johnconzano.com if you are confused by what gloria was talking about about dan dickow former trailblazer, and an interesting and unusual request that was made by a reader of my column. Reader wanted to know if I knew back in the day, this is back in 2006, when Dan Dickow would play. When would he be in the lineup? And I thought, what a weird question. Is this a fantasy league thing? Was he wants to know when Dickow's going to play? What do you... And it turns out Dr. Jeffrey Werner, who was a cardiologist working here in Oregon, and he, as it turns out, was a renowned cardiologist in the Seattle area and in Arkansas, and he had founded a clinic that was like, you know, one of the best cardiologist, uh, you know, cardiology uh, departments in, in the country, and this guy knew his stuff. He's an expert at what he did. Turns out he was in an unfortunate position. He was dying. He had lung cancer. Now, he'd never smoked. He had lived healthy, did yoga, exercised, uh, ate all the right things, and got dealt a bad hand. He had made a bucket list, and I wrote about that bucket list today, that included things like, you know, take the family to Italy, um, go to the big island in Hawaii, and catch the wind in a gourd for people who have ever... Uh, been to the Big Island and the tip of the Big Island, the whistling winds of uh, those warm trade winds, and you know there's some you know there's some magic in trying to catch the wind, and he wanted to catch the wind in a gourd that was on his bucket list. You know I don't know what'd be on your bucket list, but also on his bucket list was seeing Dan Dickow make a three point basket. He he had watched Dan Dickow play at Gonzaga, and was a fan of Dickow. And so Dr. Werner wanted to know, when is Dickow going to play? I've been to two Blazer games. I'm running out of time here. Like, you know, he, he had a terminal illness. And so he reached out to me, and I said, you know, I'll go ask Nate McMillan. And so I asked the Blazers coach at the time, Nate McMillan, I said, well, you know, i got a weird question for you, but when's Dickow going to play? I have a doctor who is facing a terminal illness who is running out of time, and he needs to see Dickow hit a three-point basket, and it's on his bucket list. And Nate McMillan said, bring him to practice. He can see Dickow shoot a three. He wasn't going to play Dickow. So 
Uh, Dr. Werner went with me to a Blazers practice. I wrote all about it today at johnconzano.com. You can hear about the interaction with Dick Dickow and the strange twist at the end of the story. That doctor, as it turns out, wanted to see more than a three-point shot. He had another thing on his mind that was an interesting twist. Leave it here. Anna's popping in the studio. she got the 5 at 5 coming up. Anna is mining all of technology for her 5 at 5. It's going to be great coming up top of the hour, 5 o'clock. I mentioned the terminal cancer patient last segment who came up with a bucket list. of, And some of it was sports-related and some of it was not. Like, one of the things he did was he took his family to Florence, Italy, and uh, rented a villa. And that's nice if you're a uh, cardiologist who can rent a villa in Florence, but not everybody can do that. And I kind of wanted to think about what's on your bucket list. Let's remove finances from the equation, and let's just allow our minds to wander. What would be on your bucket list, Anna? Stephen, listeners, 503-417-7575. What's on your bucket list, sports-related or not? And don't get me you want to go to a Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> why not? That's, is that on your bucket list? No, but why, okay. are you, why are you singling that out? I was saying that to you. As a band item. To you. Like, that can't be, that can't be the ceiling. <laughs> In Australia. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What's on your bucket list? Um, Have you given any thought to this? Yeah, we've talked about this, and I I still, like, before you or I expire, uh, would Why love... can't you say die? Die? Why I, can't you say die? I, you say expire. I know, because I don't like that. That makes way. it less jarring. Right. Um, I, like, I think it's not right that you, of Italian heritage, has not been to Italy. So, uh... I, I think that going to Italy, renting something in Tuscany, and staying there for either a month or a summer, again, if money were no object. Um, yeah, we're removing finances from the equation. I think taking our family there and really like experiencing Italian culture, going to Calabria, going to the places where you know your grandparents were from and whatnot, I think that would be... Fantastic. I was over in Greece and I realized like, you know, that's not like that's like being in Texas and saying, you know, I want, you know, I, I want to hop over to California. But <laughs> yeah. I realized being over there that like, you know, I uh, I was, you know, I was making that mental leap going, I need to go visit Italy. But my grandfather also told me of Italy, if it was any damn good his father wouldn't have picked up and moved him. You know? <laughs> That's true. That's what he said. I know. Like, But you had you went to Florence as a student. I did. You had a different experience there, kind of like tooling around Italy as a 23-year-old or whatever you were. Yeah. It's a little I mean, different experience. Not just Italy. I mean, you know, you buy your rail pass and you just hop from country to country. It's really easy. And it was great. I, I will, I'm so glad that I had that experience at that age because it – changed my mindset for the rest of my life. Steven, what's on your bucket list? You know, Italy actually popped up as one of them, but I wasn't going to say it. Um, I've always <laughs> I've always wanted to do a East Coast like baseball trip. 
type of thing, like mm-hmm. travel up and down the East Coast, hit up all nice. the uh, baseball stadiums over there, and you know, you know, obviously go and tour the East Coast, Washington D.C., all that kind of stuff. Because I've never been over. I've been in Florida, but I've never been like in the Northeast or anything like that. So I've always kind of wanted to do that during the summertime. I think that would be really. When awesome. you see that trip, do you see like? Yankee Stadium or yeah. Camden Yards or what do you see? Yeah, like you get you know you, you go to New York, you go to you know see uh, Yankee Stadium, go see the Mets, then you travel down, you know, like you said, Baltimore, hit up, uh, you know, even if you want to go in further, you can go into you know Philly if you want to go that way, if you want to go Boston. down south. You need to go Boston, go see yeah, Fenway. Boston, all that kind What's of wrong stuff. With yeah. you? That's what I'm saying, John. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Let me just give you. Let me give you your bucket list. Okay. You need to go to Fenway, Wrigley, Yankee Stadium. You know, anything else? Need to eat a cannoli in Little Italy in Boston. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Like go, you do, need to do that with the kids. You know, get a little history lesson in there at the same time. At the same time, get a baseball lesson in there. I think that'd be good. I'll tell you what. Like when you go to the East Coast, you get a different fan at the stadium. I think that's part of the experience. You just get a little a fan that's a little rougher around the edges. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you need to be in a fist fight if you have a terminal illness and this is on your bucket list. Like it wouldn't be on my list. Like to, I need to go to Yankee Stadium and get in a fist fight with a Yankee fan. That's not on my list at all. But I'm just saying when you go to the stadium, you just get a fan who's been there and seen some stuff, and is not a homer. You know, is mad at the home team. I want to know from listeners what's on your bucket list. Five zero three four one seven. Seventy-five, seventy-five. Let's go to the, uh, let's go to Chad in Portland. Chad, what do you got? Hey, what's up, John? Love your show, man. Listen when I can. And my bucket list. You got me thinking. I never really thought about a sports-related one, so I thought my son is really wanting to like do well in track, go to state, maybe win. So taking him to the Olympics in LA would be out of this world or Paris, man. Either one. I'll take it offline. Thanks, man. Yeah, I like that. Go see a Summer Olympics, not a Winter Olympics. I don't think a Winter Olympics is an Olympics at all. It's kind of a uh, ski, ice skating. Yeah, but if a, you're into those sports. Yeah, it's just a, it's a different, way different feel. It's not like you're walking around, unless it was Vancouver where they had no snow. It's not like you're walking around enjoying like the great weather. You know, you're in a blizzard. So weird. There was no snow. No snow. Winter Olympics, Vancouver, BC. That was easily for me the worst of the five Olympics that I covered. That Winter Olympics. Yeah. Because I was going, this is more like a fall Olympics. You know? Like, and I was walking on pavement. You know? There was no snow. <laughs> Just walking around Vancouver. Like, they it had was. To, they had to artificially generate yeah. everything, right? That was embarrassing. Like, but if you think about it, you know, if you think about it, that is one of the risks you run. You can't control the weather. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like people who plan weddings and there ends up being a tornado at their wedding or there, you know, there's a monsoon and the wedding doesn't go as planned. Like people always go, yeah, you just can't, can't control the weather. But they couldn't control the fact that like it was unseasonably warm. <laughs> it was warm. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, it was just not a, uh, not a winter Olympics as you see it. All right. Here's my bucket list. Okay. You ready for this? You bracing for it? Yeah. Okay. Like, I've seen some cool things. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about this this morning as I was writing this column. This guy's bucket list had, you know, all these great places you could go. And I've seen Usain Bolt run mm-hmm. in person. Yeah. I've seen Michael Phelps swim. Mm-hmm. I've seen Michael Jordan make a basket, LeBron, all this stuff. So those things are not on my list. Okay. Some people may have, like, I'd like to see the great, like, this great person do whatever. Mm-hmm. That's not it. 
That's not it. And one of my bucket list things I don't feel like I have control over. Okay. I would like to see a team, any team, from the state of Oregon playing football win a championship, national championship. <laughs> can I can I get that? Or am I setting myself up like every Blazer fan who wants to see a championship, every Duck fan, every Beaver fan? You know what I mean? Is it am I, is that too big of a risk to put on a bucket list? Well, no. trust me, I thought about that, and I thought, well, that's not even possible because the Blazers have no chance. So, yes, but it's not just the Blazers though. Like the Ducks, you know. But let's say you have six months to live. You have eight months to live. Yeah, you, you know, you can't put that on your list. Mm. You're asking too much. <laughs> You're asking too much. I would like to see a uh, a day baseball game in San Francisco. Hmm. I would like to see. Um, but you've you've seen that. But I'd like to see another one. Okay. One where I'm not working. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would like to go watch a surfing competition. Really? Yeah. Huh. From I don't care the vantage point from the beach. Okay. I don't even know how. I don't even know what they're scoring. I would just like to watch it. It just sounds like it would be a peaceful thing to see. Yeah. I would like to catch a salmon. Okay? Okay. Myself, not with a fishing guide. Oh. I did that with a fishing guide in the Willamette River. Yeah. Really cool. Mm-hmm. Guy baited the hook. Guy threw the line, the line in. He said, this is where the fish are. Fish on. Hands me the thing. That's not catching a fish. Mm-hmm. That's like, you know, almost like he was my dad mm-hmm. handing me the rod and the reel. Mm-hmm. The fish is already on the line. That's not the same. <laughs> I would like to bait the hook and catch a fish, a salmon, like a like unquestionably a keeper type thing. <laughs> not like I caught a fish. Is it big enough? Not not that one. Like catch a real fish. That's okay? a good one. Yeah, that's a good one to be on my list. Mm-hmm. You've I w- thought about this. I would like to run. Just reeling these off. I would like to run in a foot race with. <laughs> Against it could be a fun run. Okay, it doesn't have to be a hundred meter dash against Usain Bolt. Okay, I raced our two, our seven year old, our nine year old last summer. I found out that I've lost a step <laughs> when I was running against them, and I don't know what it looked like, but it didn't feel like it looked great. You want to race, Stephen? I'm guessing I, it looks worse than it felt too. That's what I'm saying, man. Like I, I, uh, <laughs> I ran and I was like, ooh. Been a while since I tried to run full speed. When's the last time you tried to run full speed, Steven? I mean, it had to have been when I was 21 in college right. playing basketball. Don't do it today. Okay? <laughs> I won't. Trust me. Work up toward it. You know, they have people. some people say they do like push-ups, and they'll be like, how many push-ups did you do? I did one push-up today. Tomorrow I'm going to do two. That's what we should do with our sprints. <laughs> I did one stride today. Tomorrow I will do two strides. Well, I've thought about the- this, too. What's the point of doing a full sprint now at my age? Like, there's no point to it. Like, well, a, full, like a full sprint, like that's a different type of run. Like I've run fast before, you know, as an older man, but never a full out sprint where I'm going all out. There's no you point to know. it. No, I mean, there may be a situation in which you need to do that. I, so you should be in training for that. I'm talking to a guy here who wears closed toed shoes on a plane in case I have to make an escape or get in a fight. Okay. So I am prepared for every scenario, Stephen, except the one where I have to run full speed. So I am thinking there's a hole in my whole logic. Like, what if I have to run off the plane? What if I have to run across the tarmac to save somebody? What if I, uh, what if 
Anna's handbag gets snatched, and I have to chase after this person. No, just let it go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just let it go. I need to be on my full speed game. <laughs> That's, what a phone, so- that's what a cell phone's for. Just call some like nine one one. Hey, someone at- stole it. I need a slingshot so yeah. I can like just aim <laughs> as they're you running need, away. You need like rocks <laughs> in your pocket to throw at people. <laughs> and David took the stone from his satchel. Uh, all right, leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. We got the five and five coming up top of the hour. Anna, are you going to include that uh, that game ball situation in your five at five? I I'm feel like I kind of have to. Eager to hear what you think about it. Uh, for people who don't know, uh, Milwaukee Bucks and Indiana Pacers in a in a spat over a basketball, the game ball from last night's game. Giannis scored sixty four points in the same game. A Pacers rookie scored his first points. Uh, Chad Buchanan, former Blazers uh, assistant GM and general manager interim GM, is the general manager in Indiana. And Rick Carlisle, the coach of the Pacers last night after the game, well, he said this. What happened at the after the game was, uh, was unfortunate. There was, there was a misunderstanding about the game ball. Um, it was Oscar Shibwe's first NBA, official NBA point, so we always get the game ball. We were not thinking about Giannis's franchise record, so we grabbed the ball and um, a couple of, a couple of minutes later, several of their players ended up in our hallway, and there was a big a big uh, I don't know I don't know what to call it a fracas a melee whatever I don't think any punches were landed but my general manager got elbowed in the ribs by one of their players. Um, And so he certainly has a bruised bruised rib, and who knows, you know, if it's anything more than that. But Chad Buchanan, I reached out to him during the show today, Mm -hmm. tells me he's okay as long as he doesn't try to breathe or sneeze. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he, uh, He said it was a dumb ordeal all the way around. Yeah. That's coming from Chad Buchanan, Pacers GM. But highly entertaining. Highly entertaining. I mean, when you have a fracas. What would you call What do we call that? You know? I would call it a brouhaha. Okay. Brouhaha. Melee. (laughs) Melee is a little more, uh, you know, fisticuffs. If there's punches thrown in baseball, it's often called a Donnybrook. A Donnybrook? A Donnybrook. Um, what would you call yeah, it? Like a brawl? Is it a brawl? A brawl has to be a little more violent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's got to be like people on the ground. Steven, when uh, NBA players are uh, pump, puffing up their chests and jumping around, hold each other back, what do we call that? Uh, I call it fake fighting, being fake tough. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the alternate definition of a fracas? I think so, yeah. Because <laughs> I have to have, if it's a brawl, I need a punch. Yeah. Yeah, all those things you described have to have punches in it. Well, and a brawl isn't just one punch either. It's punches back and forth. I see a brawl like a food fight for grown-ups. Yeah. But it punches, fisticuffs are being thrown. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think of a bench-clearing brawl. Where so, like, people have to run, run to get somewhere to throw punches. You know, it's, it's uh, like when Bill Shonley, back in 1977, and Maurice Lucas squared off with Daryl Dawkins. You know, it, it, nobody called it anything more than it was... It was an actual 
fight, right? I mean, did Sean Lee use the terminology? I don't know. Did he use During melee? that? I feel like he used melee. Into Gilliam, put it up, doesn't drop. Dawkins the rebound, along with Bob Gross. And now Daryl Dawkins. Oh, look at Ramsey. He will, oh, here we go. We got a fight. the word fight he just used fight see yeah he's a class act he doesn't need fancy words like melee yeah. or fracas he just called it what it was you know what sean lee asked me before he died the last time i saw him he asked a favor do you know what he asked what he asked me if we were going to play twas the night before christmas at christmas time i told him we would can we make sure we play was the night before Christmas, because the last thing I want is at the gates of heaven, as I'm being uh, judged, do I get in, do I not get in, is Bill Shonley on the other side going, nope, don't let him in. <laughs> is it, like a, is it gonna... like a wedding where they're like, if anyone has anything to say, <laughs> for now, now, now or forever, hold your peace? He told me he was going to do Twas the Night Before Christmas, <laughs> he didn't play it. <laughs> for people who don't know, every Christmas Eve, or in the last broadcast before Christmas on this show for more than a decade, we have played Bill Shonley's Twas the Night Before Christmas. He, in fact, recorded a stunning rendition for us. And we also have uh, Soldier's Prayer, and we have uh, a few other classics like the Polar Express that he recorded. But we oh, usually. I didn't know there's more. Oh, there's five. What? He gave what? us five different <laughs> versions. I didn't know that. Of different. And, you know, I'll just give people a little oh. taste of how, like, how good this is. Um, here's. Here's Bill Sean Lee, uh, how he did it. It was the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. All right, so mm-hmm. he did that one. Mm-hmm. And then we asked him, like, hey, that's really cool. Yeah. You know, and he says, oh, I can do better. And he got in the studio. And he did this version. That like that was the first year we did it. In fact, mm-hmm. that was twenty eleven that we did that. Okay. Okay, here he is in the version that he gave us in twenty seventeen. Think about how improved this is. It was the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring. Not even a mouse. Those stockings, those stockings were hung by the chimney with care. In hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. All right. Oh, so wow. He, he upgraded. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Production Love that guy. There. Love that guy. Oh. He, uh, he asked me. I went to see him. Uh, you know, it was not that long before he died, a few yeah. days before he died. And uh, he said, uh, will you play it? I knew what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, we'll play it. We'll play it forever. So... We'll do that in the last broadcast, right, Stephen? We yeah, do that. Yeah. Make sure it happens. Hundred percent done. If I don't, you know, if I don't remind people, <laughs> but he did. 
He did, Anna, because we did. Okay, so first of all, he does like the the grassroots version of Twas the Night Before Christmas, yeah. and then he upgrades it, right? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then he decides, ah, you know what? Not enough. I need a I need a couple other hits. You know, we're gonna make an album out of this damn thing. <laughs> so uh, he ended up doing um, some other Christmas classics. I don't want to play them all here because you know we may uh, we may end up using them, but uh, here is uh, you know he did a soldier's prayer. Have you ever heard of that one? Mm-mm. He did Polar Express. Do you know Polar Express? They made a movie out I of know it. The story. You know, <laughs> you know the story. The movie of Polar Express. Yeah. He did that one. Um, like I remember, you used to um, put out. Like, I have, uh, I have a like CD. A CD, I have it. Right, that's so old school. I have a CD. Like I, people would come and they would place orders, and you'd send out these CDs at the end of the year. I'd be like, "What are you yeah. doing?" Do you know? I asked Bill Shawnley one time what his favorite Christmas movie was. And what do you think it is? Mm, it's got to be Miracle on Thirty uh, Fourth Street, right? Like if I say, Sean's, let's watch a Christmas movie. What do we want? Are we watching Jimmy Stewart and yeah. It's a Wonderful yeah. Life? And- yeah. Dottie gives me a bad time about that. What do you want to watch that show again? Well, it comes around every year. It's a great show, Dottie. Honey, I want to see that. Yeah, I love it. I know a lot of the lines, and then you have to refresh your memory when yeah. the season comes about. But, yeah, that's one of my all-time favorites. One of his favorites. I asked him about Christmas gift giving one time. As a kid, was there a Christmas gift that you got that you really, really stands out, that you remember that one Christmas? Oh, yeah. What was it? It was a Gene Autry cowboy outfit and a pearl-handled pistol. Oh, man. In a holster. And they got me little cowboy boots, <laughs> and I just love that thing. I need a photo of this. <laughs> Is there a photo of Bill Shonley? Gene Autry, and then in later years, I work for the guy. How about that? That's amazing. How about that? Mm. You know? I got a trove of Bill Shonley here. But he did a soldier's prayer. He did the Pledge of Allegiance, did Night Before Christmas, <laughs> did the Polar Express. You covered all oh, the bases. Oh, did uh, you have him sing the Star Spangled Banner? Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shonley. The following words were spoken by the late Red Skelton on his television and radio programs <laughs> as he related the story of his grade school teacher a gentleman by the name of Mr. Laswell. Mr. Laswell's <laughs> rendition. Okay. You know? That echo makes me feel like he's speaking to us from beyond the grave. <laughs> I'll tell you this. He really wanted us to play Twas the Night Before Christmas, and so we will. We've got Thursday Night Football coming up. Uh, we have Anna's 5 at 5 before that. She is working hard on this 5 at 5, not to oversell it, but uh, you ready to do this? Yeah. You ready? All right, Stephen, the 5 at 5. The 5 at 5. Number 1. All right, let's start with the Giannis thing. Big kerfuffle over the game ball. He chased down the Pacers team members in their tunnel toward the locker room to get the game ball because he thought that they had taken it from him and he scored a franchise record 64 points in that game. He was backed up, by the way, by Damian Lillard in this whole thing. 
Lillard, though, he was looming in the background. He looked to me like a guy that maybe was a little uh, underwhelmed by what was going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Well, you I know, thought like, he wanted he the ball, too. He wasn't all fired up about it. He almost looked like a guy who was like, what are the children arguing about? But he wanted the ball because he moved into fifth place all time in three-pointers. <laughs> Here's Giannis. Can I play a clip yeah, from Giannis? Yeah, yeah, but uh, I just—he's just so fortunate. I've never seen—I've never seen this before. I feel like you can. I don't. I, I don't know. I don't even. Not even gonna comment on that. It's, I don't know if I have the game ball. To be honest with you. Uh, and that's what you—you you thought they had the game ball. That's why you ran after them in the tunnel. I knew they had the game ball. I don't. I didn't think I have they had the game ball. I knew they had the ball. He was sure of it, and Colonel Mustard did it in the conservatory with the candlestick. Well, and he still doesn't think. He has the, the real ball. He doesn't think he has the real ball. Yeah. Like, the the Buck security staff did retrieve a ball, but he's convinced that the ball that he has, you know, he doesn't know that it's actually the ball. He wanted it to give to his mom. It's This is so dumb. <laughs> Chad Buchanan, the general manager of the Pacers, got elbowed or hit in the ribs, says he's fine. Says the whole ordeal is dumb all the way around. Uh, I think most people agree with it. NBA, <laughs> NBA. This is in the wake of like who's the real winner? Draymond Green's the real winner. Nobody's talking about Dre today. Everybody's talking about this stupid, as you call it, the kerfluffle. Well, him and Adam <laughs> Silver, because the Bucks and Pacers, they have a back-to-back January first and third, I believe, a home and home series. So you know Adam Silver's going to be uh, pumping that one. He's going to be like, bring extra basketballs just in case somebody scores a, their first point. Who should get the basketball? Can we go? Who should get well, it? You know, Mark Cuban weighed in, interestingly, and he said that the rookie should have gotten it. So the rookie for the Pacers who scored his first point in an NBA game. Trumps it. That's who they were trying to get the ball to. And, you know, Cuban was saying, well, why don't you just print out the box score and have your teammates sign it and then frame that instead of the ball. For Giannis. Mm, for Giannis. But Giannis has a jersey. He has shoes. He has all sorts of mementos from the game. He wanted the ball. Number two. Uh, Joe Dumars explaining why the NBA suspended Draymond Green indefinitely. He's the executive vice president and head of basketball operations. Dumars uh, obviously talking as you have uh, uh, a lot of people in the NBA wondering what in the world uh, the league was thinking when it gave uh, Draymond Green an indefinite suspension. A lot of times people get caught up into like a number, like what's the number? What? And we didn't want to do that. Uh, what we wanted to do was, first of all, we knew that um, there would be some level of punishment, but we didn't want that to be the focus. We wanted the focus to be on how can we help Draymond as well? And we thought indefinite was the best way to do that. So, so, so people don't get caught up on here. What's the number? Is it too low? Is it too high? Indefinite means get yourself right. We want to see you at your best, and the best way for you to do that is is to get yourself, get yourself mentally and emotionally back to where you need to be. And so that's how we got to indefinite. Indefinite literally means. Not clearly defined. Vague. 
They gave a vague punishment well, rather than give a finite punishment. Yeah, and he has a point there. I mean, what everybody was going to have a problem with the number regardless of what it was. Woj reported today that um, the Players Association initially planned to fight back against the indefinite suspension, but Green agreed to it. He agreed? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, he knows he's going to lose that, doesn't he? What does he need to do? Because I think him coming out and saying, I'm not... I don't apologize for things that I don't mean to do, but I'm going to apologize for this one. I was just flailing. I was I was using my hands to sell a call, my arms. Nobody believes that. Everybody's looking at him going, you know what? You're not a good guy anymore. You can't, you're, you're doing bad guy stuff. You can't be viewed as a good guy. Yeah, it's a fine line because he doesn't want to lose his brand, which is that he's a tough guy. But he's got to have some level of contrition to be like, I'm going to be tough, but I'm not going to be a jerk. Number three. Jerry Jones saying the Dallas Cowboys would only be willing to host international games in one city, and that is Mexico City. So the NFL's really been pushing this idea that they're going to take the game international. Yeah, they're going to Brazil. Yeah, uh, but in all the time that they've been hosting international games, the Cowboys have only been scheduled for one, and that was in 2014 when they played the Jaguars in London. They have yet to actually, quote, host a game, and that's because Jerry Jones doesn't want to lose a home game and yeah. all of the profit no. that comes with it. No, that, a home game for Jacksonville does not equal a home game for the Dallas Cowboys. Correct. Uh, you know, home game for the Tennessee Titans, not the same. So Jerry Jones not giving up a home game, and he only wants to go into Mexico. Why? Because he's in Texas. There are fans there who will come across the border and buy tickets to go see the Dallas Cowboys at home game and drive merchandise and viewership. And Jerry's all about that, but he's not giving up a home game. He's and he, not wrong. He, no, he's not. I, I I don't like this. I don't like the that the NFL. The NFL's winning. The NFL's king. The NFL can go play a game in Europe. It can play a one-off in London. It can play a game in Brazil if it wants. It can play a game in Mexico City. But it shouldn't be doing this more frequently than just a one-off. It needs to be a special thing when it happens overseas. And they're pushing some of these teams that don't draw well at home into playing these games overseas. I don't love this. It's an interesting business model. Number four. Uh, Dodgers Joe Kelly is talking about Shohei Otani taking his jersey number. Joe Kelly wears number 17. He'll be giving it up to Shohei Otani. Uh, but Kelly was pretty realistic when he was uh, talking to reporters at a holiday event yesterday about giving it up. He said, I wasn't just going to give it up to anybody. If he keeps performing, he'll be a huge future Hall of Famer, and I'll be able to have my number retired, and that's the closest I'll get to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> He did say that there is a list of things that he's hoping for Otani to give him in return for the number, but okay. he's not commenting on what that list is. What do you is. think should be on that list? What's on the list? He's getting $700 million. Some money's got to be on that well, list. It's all deferred, John. So he can't. Maybe he get, <laughs> Kelly gets money in 2050. In <laughs> 2050. <laughs> He's got to live a long, nice, healthy life. And Kelly's going to wear 99. Yeah, that's the number he's going with. Ninety nine. Hope he gets a bunch of sacks this year. I wore ninety nine one year. 
Are we on four or five? This is five. Wow. Yeah. Moving along. Wrap it up. Number five. Uh, sticking with Shohei Otani, he finally revealed the name of his beloved dog. It's been this big mystery. It went viral. <sighs> he was on the couch at home with his dog sitting next to him and what some video. He was introduced today as a Dodger officially and revealed that his dog's name is Decoy. Not Dodger? Not Dodger. There was some thought that he hadn't revealed it because it had to do with the name of the team he would be going to, but alas, it's oh. Decoy. Decoy? Decoy. Is that a good... Let me see if I could yell that at a park. Decoy! 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 No. I don't know. It's a little awkward, but... Decoy. Well, there you go. Dodger... Not a dog. Decoy. And what kind of dog is this? Do we know? A cute dog? Yeah, there's no dog. name. Huh? Yep. Just a little uh, dog. I don't know. We it, had a oh, neighbor. He has a little, he's a little dog? Well, Not like a little, little dog. Yeah. Dog. He kind of looks like a beagle, maybe? I don't know. Well, Shohei, that dog will be well fed. <laughs> 700 million reasons. Or maybe the dog doesn't get fed till Shohei turns 40. Best fed dog in the world. <laughs> <laughs> that dog's looking around going, you know what? It ain't all that great. Most of the money's deferred. So there you have it. Just a couple hundred years ago, that dog would have had to fight for every meal. And now that dog is living in luxury. <laughs> every day. The dog would have had to fight for its survival and existence. Now it's got, you know, Egyptian cotton threads underneath it. Who will eat better, that dog or the football players at UCLA and the Chip Kelly? <laughs> that dog. Okay. I just love how Shohei, when he tried on his Dodger jersey mm -hmm. at the news conference to be introduced, yeah. he had a he had a shirt and a tie on underneath. <laughs> you know? It's great. <laughs> love that.